All right, Acts chapter 15. I have a secret that I want to share with you today. It's a life principle that may just open your eyes to a reality that will guide you through all your days. And here it is, here's the secret. As you go through life, there will be conflict. I know, it's profound, isn't it? Is it a surprise? No, it's not a surprise, is it? We all know this. Even among those we love, we can expect some conflict, right? People disagree, and sometimes they disagree really strongly. Conflict is just common to our fallen condition and our fallen nature. The problem is resolving conflict the right way and to the glory of God. That's what really matters. So it's not that we have to avoid all conflict, but we need to handle it biblically and faithfully to the Lord. So when we see Bible heroes blow it, um, it should do a couple of things for us. It should remind us that nobody's perfect until we get to heaven. We all live in the flesh. We all battle sins, even if most of them aren't seen outwardly. We all have them, habits of thinking, attitudes, expressions of selfishness or a lack of love. Those things are not rare among believers. We all deal with those things. And they appear sometimes with some regularity. But that doesn't mean we have the right to say, well, that's just who I am. Uh, that's just me. No, we are to be at war with our flesh and tame our wicked natures, our darker sides, however subtle they might be in play, playing with us and playing with our affections and with our mind. So that's part of it. Um, no one's perfect till we get to heaven. We've got to deal with our sins. Secondly, um, we should truly practice, practice the hard parts of love. Patience, peacemaking, gentleness, kindness, those things. We have an exhortation in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So last time we, we summarized what happened at the Great Jerusalem Council, if you were with us then. It was a successful demonstration of unity, true unity, without compromising the truth. It was a spectacular event. And we noticed that while there was no compromise on doctrine, on the truth, yet there was genuine consideration for other people. And so people were asked and welcomed the possibility to limit their liberty for the sake of other people's consciences. That is essential in a multicultural church environment. So the Gentiles were asked by the council in Jerusalem to limit their liberty in several areas. And they received that word with joy. So it was a real triumph of love and unity without compromise, without compromising the truth. But the next story that Luke tells us is one of conflict, not between churches or ethnicities, but between two individuals. And these are individuals that we love. So it's not a matter of good guys versus bad guys. It's a matter of two good guys two heroes really in the book of Acts, two people that we as readers should admire and want to follow, but two people who on a certain particular matter don't seek common ground and go their separate ways. They part from each other and it's kind of sad. Um, these were both humble men, but in this particular situation tempers flared to a level that led to division. So let's pick up after the Jerusalem Council's letter is read and well received by the church in Antioch in verse 35. 
But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So they came back from the mission field. They stayed and taught at Antioch. And then after the Pharisees came to Antioch and made some trouble Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to actively participate in this great council that we talked about last time. Then they came back to Antioch and spent more time there teaching and discipling people. So the exact lengths of time aren't given but it was probably months it could have even been a year or more. But this this great team that suffered so much together in Asia Minor decided that they should return to those churches that they planted together. So verse 36 says after some days Paul said to Barnabas let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. That's a good plan. So they're going to go back and visit the churches they planted. Cyprus and then on to Pamphylia, Asia Minor, um, Galatia, that region and see how those folks are doing and if they need any help or guidance in anything and encourage them and maybe preach some more. So far so good Uh, until they talk about who's going to go with them and that's verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also. Verse 38 but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So John Mark you you will remember was part of the first missionary team that was sent out from Antioch and he was there all through their preaching and experiences on Cyprus but as soon as they went north by ship and landed at Pamphylia on the southern coast of Asia Minor he just bailed on them. He he left. He went home. And apparently it got this this discussion between Barnabas and Paul about John Mark got pretty heated. Verse 39, there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. So up until this point, point, Paul and Barnabas, they've really balanced each other very well. They're a great team and they went through great trials together and great dangers together. They should have been just knit like that, you know. But their foundational commitments individually were not completely aligned. They both believed in preaching the gospel, planting churches among the Gentiles, all those things they were agreed on but Paul was all about the mission and being successful on the mission. Barnabas had other things that were just as important to him. So Paul was a kind of a task oriented person and Barnabas was a people oriented person. Both of them wanted to serve Jesus faithfully. So some of it I'm sure was just personalities. These were very different men. And that can be a really good thing if the people involved understand that about each other and themselves. Hey we're very different so we need to appreciate that and work with that. They learned to blend their differences successfully and they had been doing that all along. They had been able to. But they couldn't find a way over this issue of John Mark and it got kind of ugly and personal. So let's talk about personalities just for a minute. Barnabas We learned at the end of chapter 4 in the book of Acts where he's introduced that was not his real name, right? His name was Joseph and he was from Cyprus. Barnabas was a name given to him by the by the disciples because of his character. He was Barnabas means the son of encouragement and that's what he was known for. He's a people person. He's an encourager. He's it exactly fits the nature of the disagreement that 
he and Paul have here over John Mark doesn't it? Yes John Mark couldn't handle the strain of the first missionary journey Paul but I've been working with him and he wants to try again. Why let so much potential go to waste just because of one failure? It was it was just too soon for him last time. He wasn't quite ready but he's up for it now so let's give him another chance. What could it hurt? That would be Barnabas's point of view. The encourager cannot imagine leaving him behind when he wants to go and is willing to go and feels like he can do it now. Paul is closer personality wise as to what we might call a type A kind of person. Get the job done. The Lord has entrusted to us this sacred mission. We can't get stuck trusting Mark again like we did last time. It made things so much harder. He was supposed to assist us and he blew it. So we're not taking him. Paul always took his work very seriously. Now he describes his own personality a little bit in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13 where he says you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So what is, that's a type A guy right there. He's more zealous than everybody else and as a Jew he was and he's that way as a Christian too. That's a personality type. He wasn't just zealous. He uses a superlative to describe himself. I was extremely zealous he says. He was the most zealous for, for Judaism as he understood it. In fact nobody else pushed to persecute the church as much as this guy Saul then now Paul did. In fact he persecuted them all the way to Damascus. That was his baby. It was his idea. It was his plan. He wanted to be the executioner there to follow up the Damascus and arrest the Christians up there and punish them. He sought that. He planned that and, and he pushed for it. If we want to destroy the Jesus movement we can't sit around and throw a few of them in prison. We need to strike hard and pursue them wherever they go. That's the kind of guy he is. Type A guy. Get it done. Get it done. Then on the way to Damascus Jesus came to him right and the effect of Jesus on Paul was astounding. He really was a new creation, a new creature. Christ filled his heart with love and tenderness became a trait that he often exhibited. Paul's love was really evident in his behavior towards the churches that he planted and he made great personal sacrifices to take care of the people that he was in charge of. You can really see his compassion in the epistle to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 5. This is how he describes his relationship with them. We never came with flattering speech as you know nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our own authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall brethren our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father 
would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the apostle Paul was not a harsh man as a Christian. He was a tender hearted man. J.C. Ryle uh, the great bishop um, in the 19th century said grace shakes a man out of his selfishness and makes him feel for the soul of others and that's exactly what happened to the apostle Paul. But we all have remaining sin in us and the new creation doesn't necessarily mean that your basic personality is going to be radically different. It takes all kinds of people in the world right and personality um, is not sin but we need to be aware of how sin can twist our individual personalities or our bents you know the way we're sort of wired. A zealous man like Paul can make sinful anger. He can mistake that for commitment. And we know Paul had that proclivity in his life. In fact one of my favorite contrasts in the whole Bible is when two men got punched in the face hard, struck in the face on different days in the same place. Do you know who I'm talking about? Jesus and Paul before the Sanhedrin, the great council in Jerusalem. When Jesus was struck hard at his trial he looked at the officer who hit him and he said if I have spoken wrongly testify of the wrong but if rightly why do you strike me? Now that's, that's perfection. That's a perfect response. Making a brutal man question why he just did what he did. But in Acts chapter 23 we'll get there someday. Verse 3 um, this is what Paul dealt with. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him God's going to strike you you whitewashed wall. And then he was told that he just insulted the high priest and he, he apologizes. I was not aware brethren that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So he kind of had egg on his face as we say. So we, we all have to be aware of how our personalities can lead to or entertain sins that are common to our type. So personality is not sinful but sin can corrupt every personality type. A go-getter type can lack sympathy and crush people. The more timid person might be tempted not to serve Jesus or not to speak up for the truth if uh, things like that. Barnabas was not timid. He wasn't a timid person but he does pay close attention to people who need encouragement more than they need challenges and um, you know high standards he would be the guy to lift them up and bring them up to a high standard. So Timothy in the New Testament he is more timid and it's interesting to see how Paul works with him later in later years. I think it shows that Paul actually matured in this area. Now wherever there's conflict people want to assign blame. So who's the most guilty here Paul or Barnabas? Of course there's all kinds of opinions about that. And Barnabas usually comes out with the most blame for people that really want to pick on one guy or the other. For one thing, um, and look we only have this little text to draw from so you got to take every little bit of it right. John Mark is his cousin, Barnabas's cousin. So some people feel like that made him less objective and uh, maybe being too quick to support Mark. According to Luke's account here after the rift Paul teams up with the prophet Silas and they are commissioned by the Antioch church. If you look at verse 40 in Acts chapter 15 it says, But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. 
It doesn't say Barnabas and Mark were committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So people point that out. Finally Barnabas just drops out of the story at this point. That's his last thing where he's seen is in this big disagreement and leaving for Cyprus with uh, John Mark. So for some people the indicators that Barnabas is in the wrong are, are pretty strong from the text. And they're interesting arguments. I'm not sure they really hold up well. I don't think that's necessarily Luke's intention in describing the story this way. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin but there's no reason to suggest that nepotism was motivating him here just favoring his relative or anything like that. Barnabas's reputation is pretty stellar and we know that he was very much focused on lifting up other people and taking the side of people that are marginalized or weak and remember he was the one that helped Paul receive a welcome to Jerusalem when nobody would talk to him it was Barnabas that brought him to the elders in Jerusalem he was the one that championed Paul and Paul wasn't a relative. Uh, secondly it's true that there's nothing said about Barnabas and Mark formally being committed to the grace of the Lord by the Antioch church but um, one could point to the fact that Barnabas had already been commissioned by the Antioch church and Mark was just a helper on the first missionary journey he didn't need that level of commissioning and Silas is Paul's new chosen partner and he is new to the church in Antioch he came up from Jerusalem so the Antioch elders might just be wanting to have the church formally add Silas to their team of missionaries to be Paul's partner. It does however sound like Barnabas pretty much just took off and didn't stick around which you could fault him for that. And yes Barnabas drops out of the story here um, but so did Peter in Acts chapter 15 verse 11 and Peter that was his great moment that was his highest moment his great declaration about grace and so uh, being dropped out of the narrative doesn't imply being good or bad necessarily there's a narrative flow to the book and then there's a purpose here and there's limited space so what furthers the narrative? Well Paul does and that's why the story continues with him. Peter drops out because the narrative of Acts is expansion. Jerusalem to Rome that's where it's going and in chapter 16 Paul is the instrument chosen by God to for expansion of the gospel to the west. So he's going to be a key player there. So God is the one keeping the narrative purpose of the book of Acts on target and the fact is as we shall see there's no indication that Barnabas is considered by the church as out of line or having gone rogue or anything like that and we will see that as the story kind of plays out in chapter 16. So I don't think trying to figure out blame is that helpful. I think both men share the blame for how they handled the situation. One thing that uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie said about this text that I really liked he said quote nowhere in Luke's account does it say that the two prayed and that it seemed good to them and to the Holy Spirit for Mark to remain behind or for the two of them to multiply their ministry by doubling their efforts in two directions. So the split happened out of anger and that was bad and, and for both of them and it doesn't mention that they prayed about it together or sought other counsel. He's using the language of verse 28. Did you notice that? Um, which the, the language that produced the unity of the church and the Jerusalem council that it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that's what they said in their letter to the other churches and we don't see that here instead we have two men who seem to be acting in the flesh at this particular moment they both had their reasons they didn't but they didn't stop to pray or reflect on such an important decision and really seek God's leading on that that's so important in, in so many conflicts. You have conflicts in your life ever? Uh, I'm sure you do. Families, marriages, churches, 
conflict happens. Humble, heartfelt prayer is the solution to m- almost every major conflict. It should be one of the first steps in resolving conflict. Often it's the last or it's forgotten. And Paul and Barnabas should have known that and they should have gone right there on their knees together which they probably had done hundreds of times but they didn't do it this time. They should have prayed together. Also they could have consulted the elders in Antioch. uh, See if they might have some insight or recommendations regarding John Mark being fit to go with them and seek counsel. So seek counsel when there are, are at odds and you can't get anything to work. Go to a third party, somebody that you respect and is wise and humbly seek counsel. So the rift happens and Paul and Silas um, proceed to do what Paul and Barnabas had planned except Paul goes north by land. Uh, No ships this time. Verse 41 he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So the original plan was to retrace their steps and visit the churches but Paul does not go to Cyprus where he and Barnabas went the first time because that was the first place they went if you remember. Why doesn't he go there? Well Barnabas and Mark went there. So they're going to revisit those churches and they're going to take care of that situation. So Barnabas drops out of the book of Acts because he's going to do wonderful work in Cyprus and he's going to strengthen the churches there and expand the faith there across that island. And he's from there. You might remember that. He's a native of Cyprus so that's his home country. So Paul doesn't have to think about Cyprus again. He doesn't have to worry about it because Barnabas is going to take care of it. So if Barnabas remained on Cyprus for many years just planting and growing healthy churches there. Well that's enough work for any man and church history suggests that he was very successful because the early Christian church was very strong on Cyprus. So maybe he drops out of the story because expansion to new unreached places is no longer what he's doing and he's no longer part of the great theme of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. He's going to be on Cyprus. That tells you um, that nobody was really concerned about Barnabas um, being off the rails or anything like that. It was a simple disagreement and he was given, nobody was worried about the churches on Cyprus because he was there. So he wasn't a bad influence or anything like that. So so now there's really two effective teams, Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Silas. Not just one. So Paul goes by land to reconnect with the churches he planted in Asia Minor. Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch. In, uh, in the Galatian region and then off into Pamphylia. And this path he chose will also take him through his old hometown. He'll, he'll go through Tarsus before he goes all the way to uh, Derby and Lystra. So now at Lystra when he gets there he's going to reconnect with a young man who is really growing in his faith. So let's go to chapter 16 and look at verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Yeah so that's the famous Timothy the man that two New Testament letters are written to by Paul, personally written to him. He will become an integral part of Paul's team along with a number of other people 
And Timothy probably, probably became a Christian under Paul and Barnabas' ministry when they first came to Lystra. They were the ones that brought the gospel there. In fact in 1 Timothy 1 chapter, chapter 1 verse 2 Paul calls him my own son in the faith. So he's like his dad in the faith. And that's how Paul describes Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2.19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So he had the highest recommendations for Timothy there. So he was a special young man and Paul was like a father to him. Now verse 3 of chapter 16 um, that's shocked more than a few people down through the years uh, just from the act itself and also from what it seemingly seems to mean. Verse 3 Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So people go wait a minute, wait a minute, wasn't the whole Jerusalem council opposed to circumcision? Isn't that the whole thing that just happened in the previous chapter? No, not really. The, the council was against circumcision as a matter of salvation, as a work to please God for salvation. Remember we talked before about Paul's view of circumcision. It isn't good or bad in itself or right or wrong in itself. In fact the phrase he uses three times in his letters is circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. So there's nothing wrong with it it's, but it's certainly not required to be saved. So why make Timothy go through that? Well the answer is right there in verse 3. Um, the key line there it says the Jews who are in those parts for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy although his mother was Jewish was, would not get a hearing among the Jews in the same way as he would if he were circumcised like they are. He certainly would, could not be allowed to speak in a synagogue and that's, that would be a, maybe a key thing that Paul would want him to be able to do. So Timothy was circumcised for Jewish unbelievers not for Jewish believers. So it was surgery for evangelism. I guess that's the way you can look at it. So Paul, Paul articulates the principle involved here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's not about circumcision but it's about relating to people in different groups. So 1 Corinthians 9.19 he says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So that's why Timothy was circumcised so he could reach the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Eventually Timothy became a very important leader and a man that Paul could rely on as we've already seen. He was sent to hot spots, difficult areas. In fact he even pastored the church in Ephesus for a time which is a really strategic city and there was a lot of trouble there. 
He was among Paul's most loyal team members. He did, indeed, he did need bolstering now and then because his personality was a little more timid. He could be intimidated by people. But right now they're going to labor side by side doing the work of strengthening the churches and then moving on to new territories. Look at verse 4. Now while they were passing through the cities they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So they took the letter from the Jerusalem council to all the churches in Asia Minor where he and Barnabas had planted churches and it strengthened them. It gave them clear direction and they were growing. That's great news. So that's really the proper end of Luke's account of the first Jerusalem council. That's sort of the end of that story. The message of the council being delivered to all the Gentiles and them receiving it with joy. So now we're ready to continue with the second missionary journey going into new lands. But Paul he's not going to go where he's planning to go. In fact he's going to get a call kind of a mysterious call. Uh, In fact it's a call that's going to change the world. But first he's going to get a lot of no you're not going to go there from the Lord. Has the Lord ever told you no? Well the Paul is about to hear no's from the Lord as well but it's all for a good purpose. So we'll, we'll look at that the next time I am with you. Let's pray. Lord make us wise when conflicts come. Don't let the heat of temper keep us from remembering to pray together to seek your will and if need be to seek otherwise counsel. You are so good and we want to be worthy of you and how we conduct ourselves all the time. And we thank you that you can uh, even turn our mistakes into blessings if we do your work if we're committed to your work as you do with these men here. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Be ready for next time.